Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 446 of Longbox Heroes. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? Todd, there is so much comic book news that it's almost as though we are not going to have enough time to spend on Doomsday Clock. What? Doomsday Clock? I think we should just not even talk about it this week. Um, oh, you're killing me. But you're right. There is a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Oh, we have... Uh, X books coming back that are that Joe really wants to talk about. And hey, when uh, do I care about X books? You barely do, but when you do, you care like no one else. That's right. Also, a creator calls out shenanigans at comic conventions, uh, cancellations of books uh, that we were not betting on one way or another, uh, and also maybe um, I don't know, maybe some stuff slips, you know, on the schedule, and also when a famous book is actually going to be ending. Um, that's all the news. We won't even to discuss late books. Um, also, uh, con news: free digital books and sales. What we read last week, which was Symbiote Spider-Man number one by Peter David and Wonder Twins number three. What we're looking forward to this week, I don't think I have any art attacks this week, so I'm just going to go right to the end where we talk about Cloak and Dagger and Legends of Tomorrow. Yes, indeed. A full show, everyone. So full. You could always say that Longbox Heroes is full of it. You can never not say that. (laughs) Hey, we got a lot of positive uh, feedback from After Dark last week. Not to say that we don't get feedback from this show, but I wanted to mention it up front here. Uh, Both the discussion of the train uh, Mm -hmm. that you derailed and also uh, (laughs) the gift card scam that you uncovered. That's right. I put some quarters on the track. That's all I'm going to say. Usually I put pennies and everything's fine. This time I put quarters. Did not go well. Right. I just want to throw that out there just in case you listen to this show and you don't listen to After Dark. There's some good stuff going on over on After Dark. That is true. And also, I'm in the feedback void. (laughs) You're in the what? The feedback void. All right. I'm just saying, I don't get it. You you tell me what the feedback is, usually. I I kind of just hide it. They tweeted at both of us, usually. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm in a void. Oh, my goodness. All right, so, news, Todd. Yes. So, you had mentioned about an X book that's coming back, and there's been a bunch of X uh, one-shots and all this other stuff that's been coming out over the last couple months, and, you know, we've kind of, it's well known here on the show that you and I are not uh, lovers of the mutant universe. It just gets muddy and confused and so forth, but when you carve out a little niche... And you make it weird and quirky enough, and then you bring it back, I think that calls for celebration. Because one of my favorite, one of the more controversial X runs of the last 20 years, Ecstatic is coming back with its original creative team. Granted, it's just a one-shot, uh, but the fact that these characters are being kind of put back into circulation is kind of cool. Uh, outside of Dupe, you don't really see many of the X-Force characters show back up anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. And 
have you ever read this run when it was originally X Force and then they changed it over to X Static? Nope. All this is like all you. I have like you know how every once in a while like people come along like I really like this or I hated that. I have absolutely zero opinion on ecstatic. Like because I bear I only know about it through dupe. Like dupe was the famous thing that came out of it. I don't understand what a dupe is, but <laughs> <laughs> it's he's dupe and he has a video camera i guess and he's just floats around that's that's everything i know about ecstatic i would say when i see you later today mm-hmm. i'm going to bring you the first issue of this run okay and it, spoiler not a spoiler it's one of those first issues and a part of it was that it wasn't a first issue because they just picked up with the existing number numbering of X-Force. Remember when publishers would just c- completely revamp a book and not yes. change the numbering on the book? I, I remember a time in the, in, and I wasn't around for it, but like in this, in the silver age where, or, or, or around the horror books, the EC books, like, like when they wanted to do the like tales from the crypt and all that stuff, like those books were literally like, you know, Spring Romance, number 17. <laughs> and then it would be Tales from the Crypt 18. And I know that's not the way they do it, but it was so, because back then on a, on a bookshelf, you know, in a store, uh, an 18 looked better than a 1. Now a 1 looks better than anything else in the world, Joe. So it was issue 116, and this was like during when Casada had just taken over. Right. And he had the big success with Ultimate, like the Ultimate Comics line. So now they're going to start trying to do some different stuff, I guess, with some lower tier books. And again, it's just X Force One Sixteen, completely revamped, new creative team, new look, all new characters, all created just for this book, right? Mm-hmm. And the book runs uh, only about three or four years, give or take. Toward the tail end, they had to delay some stuff because the last storyline was that Princess Diana was a mutant. Oh, boy. And she had come back to life. And as that got solicited, some people may have felt uh, that that may have been in poor taste. So they had to, like, slightly change the character and Mm -hmm. remove all references to, like, any members of the royal family. Oh, okay. And wouldn't you know, shortly thereafter, the book got canceled. (laughs) I don't believe it. But where I'm going with this is, so if this got like that fresh new number one uh, deal to it, I think this would be one of those books that people would talk about. And when I say people, I mean myself and uh, our friend Josh, who did the uh, Inhumans episode, all those episodes back, and we would talk about it on the Art Attacks and so forth, uh, that people would be talking about this book the same way they do about like Thunderbolts, that Thunderbolts number one. And I'm not giving away a lot. I'm just saying it's one of those books where it's like, oh, unassuming, new characters, so on and so forth, and then a thing happens. Uh, so now I'll be expect, I'll be looking for that. You'll thing. be expecting a thing, but again, we're, we're talking about a book that's 18 years old or whatever the hell it is, you know? Right now, I'm just saying. Uh, but these are, like I said, outside of dupe, these characters get no love. They're very, these are the definition of cult characters when it comes to comic books. They had a good run for about three years in the early 2000s, and then heretofore unknown outside of one that's kind of used as a joke character here and there. 
Uh, so I'm excited that these people are coming back. Yay! Everyone go buy this so they bring back these characters in this ongoing uh, series. That's right. And that's another thing. Typically... Uh, when they do pop up, like they would, do, they would do like a mini series with Dupe and Wolverine, or they would do a mini series of like Ecstatics presents like a character. They would always be done by either both Peter Milligan and Mike Allred, or um, you know, Peter Milligan would write it and Allred would do the covers, and uh, Darwin Cook would be the artist. All right, right. So it was always like that creative team was always working on these characters when they were doing this book. So it's almost like a pure run, if you will. Right. It's almost like Alias for the longest time, where it was only Brian Michael Bendis writing uh, Jessica Jones. There, it just will always have a certain feel to it because those writers seem to to do it. Like I could go, do a couple off the top of my head over the years of like characters like that, but that is usually the the best type of thing and then after like those uh writers or whatever leave it's never quite the same after that right speaking of a run on a book where the creators stick around we have the official announcement that saga is going to end with issue wow. 108 <laughs> which is 54 issues from now that's right and 54 issues whenever they start again. Right. Uh, they did just recently solicit uh, a, a big giant hardcover of the first 54 issues. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what they did with Walking Dead, where it was like those compendiums where it would be like the first 48 issues or whatever it is. Right. Uh, so this it's like 1,400 pages, uh, big giant hardcover, fancy new cover... And they took out that verbiage from the original pitch of it's Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. Ah. It was like two popular things that taste great together. Game of Thrones just came back. They should leave that in. Mm. No, I think Sog is its own thing. And we talk about the uh, the, car- the the creative team on this. Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples. Uh, they're the only ones to ever do it. And they've taken off an extreme amount of time. Uh, in between issue 53 and what will be, or 54 and what will be 55 when it returns. But that's okay, because I don't want anyone else other than them doing these characters. Well, we know nobody other than Brian K. Vaughn will be writing it. I could see, I'm not saying Fiona Staples ever would, but you know, like, uh, because Brian, uh, Kayvon is off, like, doing stuff, writing TV. I don't know what Fiona, Fiona Staples is doing. Like, if she's drawing books anywhere to fill that void, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, we know Brian's getting a paycheck because he's working on something in TV, he said. But I don't know what where uh, Fiona Staples is getting a paycheck. Let's see what the old internet tells us. So, like, she's the only one I could see, like, well, I, I need to make money, go off and do it. And then when he's ready, she could come back or he would have to, you know, fill it unless they're co-owners. Like, all that stuff is always weird to me, you know? Uh, if you remember, she was doing covers on Archie. And was drawing the book for a little bit. And then so there's a labyrinth book that's coming out or is out or is currently going on that she's hmm. doing something with i did not know that uh-huh let me see what i could find here from boom it's currently going on what is she doing 
she's just doing the covers on that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and she has no, not like since Saga, she did a one shot of something called Blackbird. Don't know it. Did the cover on that? It was her and Sam Humphreys. She's doing the covers on that. And uh, according to her Tumblr, she's uh, playing a lot of video games. Hmm. Good for her. Good for her indeed. And yeah, that's about it. So, Saga. Uh, we knew it wasn't going to be a series that went on forever, but at least we have a time frame of when it will be over. Yes. Where else to go with this? Okay, so uh, let us discuss the Comic-Con issue that popped up over the weekend that Todd alerted me to. Mm-hmm. So there was the Philadelphia Comic-Con, now, or, you know, the great Philadelphia Comic-Con, and sometimes, you know, when we do the plugs for the show, comic book conventions get missed for whatever reason. I always lament that sometimes when your site is just a link to a Facebook page, I'm not even going to put it in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have, a lot of people like to stay off Facebook, right? Or if I try to go to your website through three different browsers and all three browsers give me all sorts of weird alerts, (laughs) right? Right. I'm not going to put that out there for the world. So Larry Hama is someone that we always mention. Obviously, we can't sit here and read the entire guest list of every single convention that we come up. But Larry Hama is always somebody that comes up because he is a legendary comic book creator, whether it be G.I. Joe, whether it be Wolverine. You know, he was an actor. He actually, you know, fought in Vietnam and everything else like that. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, he is a legend in the in the in the history of comic books. So I guess he had an issue over the weekend at Philadelphia Comic Con, and I don't know if you want to take point on this because I do have the stuff here in front of me. Right. From what I gathered from the story was he wanted to use whatever you would call it, the green room or whatever, like a rest area at the con to get a cup of coffee, and he didn't have the right credentials and basically what it was was they were saying it was actors and you know celebrities only in this room and he you know he he got in a huff and rightfully so where he's like my i you know i'm i'm billed as one of the things that you're promoting the show you're using my art to promote this show and I can't, you know, get into the thing for food or a coffee or whatever. And basically they, they came and asked him to take it down on Twitter. And he was like, no, like get me a coffee and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. You know what I mean? And I look at it as I find that completely interesting because, you know, we've always talked comic cons aren't what they used to be. They're celebrity driven now, as you said, Game of Thrones and Walking Dead. And, you know, the, these are the, the people. But if you're going to call them, you know, comic book conventions, don't don't short shrift the creators. And I I, I get it. You know, I, I I'd be mad, too. And I, you know, and. I don't really know. I guess he got what he wanted in the end, but I just, I think it sheds a light on the way it actually is. And, and I find it amusing the way some shows work and like the green rooms and stuff like that. Because at New York, uh, when Tom goes in the artist alley, which I always find interesting is pushed off to the side 
uh, you know, away from the, the, the main floor and everything. And this year they had their own little, little green room. And I was like, Oh, this is nice. If me or Tom, because we have the RSL badges, we get tired. We can go sit in a, they had couches and they had water and coolers and stuff. And it was just, but it was a small room, maybe like 20 by 20. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And then later, like a comic creator who wasn't at the show, he was just there hanging out and we kind of, me and Josh became friends with them years ago. And I was like, oh, they have this nice little little green room. And he's like, what's in there? I said, like, a couple couches and so, uh, jugs of water. And he goes, he goes, you know, this is why I won't come. To, I didn't come to New York this year. He goes, because, like, when I go to Canada or I go to Europe, he's like, they have a chef in, in, the, in the green room making you omelets in the morning. And, like, you have to beg to get water, you know, in, in little coolers and stuff like that. And you know, you know, like, Doctor Who stars and Game of Thrones and, and Walking Dead stars are not getting that treatment whatsoever it stinks only because and this is where it comes from on on one hand oh boy and it's tough because i'm not an event organizer i i would hate to be one of these event organizers and it's going to get to a point where comic book conventions are going to have less and less comic book people at them and more and more media guests, which is going to eventually either mean some sort of break-off. And that's why whenever there is a convention going on that has a majority of comic book folks, I always like to bring it up and shine a light on it. And I do follow a few creators online, uh, you know, social media and whatnot, and I do see more and more of them lamenting over stuff like this. But just kind of like as a general blanket of, of treatment. But to see something so specific like this from any creator, Larry Hama or otherwise, just kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. And it's not like he was like, I wanted my own separate green room. Uh, I wanted, you know, whatever it is. He wanted to go into the green room that was set up for people who were working the convention and get a cup of coffee. And they told him to hit the bricks. Right, and then they set up something for now that I, I, I'm because I have it and you had the article and it's in my head, and they set up. They're like, oh well, we you know here we'll set this up for you. So he's saying like, oh okay, and he actually used the phrase separate but equal. You know, he's like, oh, so you're gonna you're gonna set this up over here, so the 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 the, the stars don't have to mingle with the comic book creators. And I disagree. I don't think we'll ever see comic create. There will always be comic creators at conventions because they're because they are cheap gets. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to sometimes pay to get these stars to show up. Comic creators will show up because, as we know it, comic creators in their in their everyday jobs don't get the money that we think they should deserve sometimes. So they're hustling. They'll, you know what I mean? They'll go uh, to sell their wares. So they'll always be at, at comic conventions. And and I'll, and I'll say this, right? It's a separate but equal sort of thing. And I get you. You want to keep, you know, Zombie Number Six happy. Mm-hmm. But whatever, you know, if space permits, whatever you have set up for media guests, have something similar set up for the comic book folks. Mm-hmm. Or even further still, if you're a comic book person that has seen this treatment come up before and your name could garner this sort of thing, have a writer that says, when I show up, I'm guaranteed six bottles of water. Like, that's bottom, that's bottom of the barrel stuff. But mm-hmm. something as simple as that. 
and, and I will admit I've seen I've seen uh, step up in in like uh, the like how they treat creators like at New York they have like hey do you you don't have somebody helping you you need somebody to 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 watch your table uh you know text this number and we'll send somebody over you know for five for ten minutes or whatever uh you need water we'll bring you water and 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 like that's really cool and I guess I know they're not the rock stars that these these actors are and it's nice but it was funny like I said you know I was talking to this creator and he's like what other cons do outside of America. And now, honestly, like you can't talk about like the gymnasium comic cons. That's that's different. But like the bigger comic cons, like uh he was just said other big cons in the world, like they they treat they treat their comic creators better. And I just found that interesting. And right for me, if you know if you are a comic book creator, you know a comic book creator and you're going to a show, you know, tell them to put something in whatever their deal is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying ask for the world. I'm not saying have a prime rib dinner or have a limo to and from whatever accommodations it is. Something simple, something small. Put right. it in. And I know, I know the bigger ones kind of probably do get. I imagine Starenko gets whatever he wants. Mm. He just takes it, you know. Oh, interesting <laughs> choice of words there. Let's move on, right? Before we get into trouble. So mm-hmm. now the part of the show, the ramp up, if you will, Tom. <laughs> But we're not there just yet. This is the preamble to the main event of the news section. So three months ago, Todd, Mm -hmm. we've been keeping track of a lot of things. And I have a little handy-dandy note here uh, by where we record the show. Of course, we go back to five months ago where we have that War of the Realms was officially announced as a six-issue miniseries coming out over three months. Making the joke is, are they going to add any extra issues? Is it going to be delayed? Are they going to publicly announce a better ending? Mm-hmm. Issue one just came out. Issue two is coming out here shortly. We're not, that hasn't happened yet. Then we have from four months ago, Todd, there was a selection of collections that were coming out from DC as one of the news stories that we would talk about quite a bit is what was going on with DC's collections. And we've gotten a lot more information in these last three months as to what's going on, what they're planning on doing, why solicitation, why, why books are being canceled. The four books in particular that were new printings that they were heralding was an Adam, an art of Adam Hughes book, a new printing of the uh, first trade of Lucifer a new print of the Judd Winnick era Outsiders, and a new printing of the first trade of the Garth Ennis John McRae Hitman. I'm getting all of those when they come out. You're get, well, well, you're going to get all of them when they come out. Now, no word yet on the Outsiders book, no word yet on the Adam Hughes book, no word yet on the Lucifer book. However, the Hitman has been canceled, Todd. Well, well not, officially, he... not officially canceled. Instead of being the first trade... It's just something called Hitman. It's being replaced with Hitman's Greatest Hits, where it's a smattering of issues, his origin from the Demon Annual, issues 4, 5, 7, 13, 14, issue 34, and the JLA Hitman miniseries. That's, you don't need anything else. It's all the best stories. Sure. Now, I said that they were never going to reprint this for whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't think this is coming out. <laughs> I don't know, Joe. I think with my track record of successful guesses on stuff, uh-huh. I think it will. All 
So like it I said, I, I would be remiss uh, to bring that up. Um, you know, it is uh, currently solicited. They still do have an Amazon solicitation for it. If you don't mind waiting uh, another 60 years for that book to come out. I find it funny because this is not the first time that we've talked about this. Where a book that gets quote-unquote canceled or resolicited by DC when you go to the Amazon listing. It has a advanced thing of 60 years in the future. At least mm-hmm. with like video games and stuff. Now that I have a kid who cares about that sort of stuff. They usually just do it for the end of that year. Well, comics are a whole different animal, Joe. Mm-hmm. So we'll see uh, if if any more news comes up of those other three those other three trades from uh, four months ago. Wait until they make the Hitman uh, DC Universe show, then we're all good. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. We'll 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 come to that and we'll we'll talk about if they complete the entire collection. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of cancellations and late books, Batman Damned. Remember when Batman Damned One came out, Todd, and everyone went nuts because you saw like the the crook of uh of Batman's uh, uh wanger there. That's right, the cut of his jib. Right, the cut of his jib. No thirty dollars for a picture touching that, but that's right. Uh, so this was a book that was supposed to, it was a three issue like oversized maxi series, whatever it was, supposed to be two ish, two months in between every issue. And uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, issue one came out in September. Has issue two come out yet? Yes, I have it here. Okay. So issue three has now been pushed back to July. Right. And I think it's going to make that cut. Mm, Now, and that thing, I only bring that up is because it's a book that has a lot of controversy around it. I don't know what's going on with this book. Your Ugh. your guess is as good as mine. It's just kind of more holes into the ship of what's going on over at DC with all these big, highly publicized books being late. That's right. And this one, like, I'm not saying I know what it was or anything like that. I just remember when the one came out and, and all of it hit the fan that, like, at conventions, just like Berhamo and Azarello just refused to sign. Like, they had signings set up at the DC booth for them, and they were just like, nah, we're not showing up. And, like, I don't know, like, how much of that is just strife. Like, how much of this book is just being late by them is strife. Like, we'll get you, – you, you kind of boned us, so we'll get to it when we get to it. And right off the bat, I think I may have told this story on the show, so I don't know if I should or not. Yes. But what Bermejo made just on signing and Azarello made on signing Batman Dams at show number at shows number one, like it was ridiculous. So it's not like they're hurting. Like they made, I know for a fact, Bermejo made like like. Like lots of comma money for signing and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm is DC fighting them? Is they are they dragging their feet because they're still mad over it, like not being reprinted and them changing art if they were gonna. This is one that not only with the way DC is when we're talking about late stuff, this has a ton of added baggage on top of it. You know what I mean? So it could be any of this, and I'm just glad that this is the last late book we're gonna just talk about on the show we're done we can move on from the news and everything that's right the last late book that we'll talk about mm-hmm. until this one. <laughs> oh god <laughs> so todd 
I think we could rename the show as After Dark was postulated to be renamed the Long Boxcar Heroes, where we just talk <laughs> about trains and derailments through the history of the world. Right. Uh, this show could be talking about where in the world is Doomsday Clock and get a and get a Rockapella to record a new theme song for us. The whole deal. Yes. So the current uh, kerfuffle in the world is Shazam number six, uh, written by Jeff Johns. And who's the artist on that? That is Eaglesham. Dale Eaglesham, okay, of course. Uh, so that is uh, delayed as well uh, as Doomsday Clock number 10. Uh, Doomsday <laughs> Clock number 10, if we go by the original solicitation <laughs> date, was supposed to be October of 2018. I'm putting years in here. <laughs> then it was resolicited to be coming out the last week of March. Mm-hmm. And it now has it now has been delayed 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 times. Ha ha ha, 7 times. So if I'm correct in looking at the schedule, we are approaching over three months in between issue nine and issue ten coming out. Now issue eleven is solicited for two weeks after this. Now no one would be foolish enough to say that Doomsday Clock Ten is going to come out not only on this new intended date of the fifteenth of May, but that eleven will come out two weeks later. No one would be I, as ridiculous as to say that. However, I, I would never say that, and I have the proof I didn't. But go ahead, go ahead. But that being said. I guess a new wrinkle has come into this story, has it not? That's what I heard through the vine of grapes, Joe. The dirt sheets, the stooge report, the rag mm-hmm. sheets, if you will. Right. Very rich news uh, source, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, apparently, somewhere, was it in France? Yes. Um, that they were selling art from issues of Doomsday Clock. And somebody asked about it, and the owner, uh, I guess, somehow is gets them from Gary Frank, and was like, yeah, we have this and, and this and that, and then ended up saying, like, and he's waiting on scripts to draw, pages to draw more, making it pretty much sound that Gary Frank has told him that it's Jeff Johns who's holding all this up, but... I'm beginning to think it is Jeff Johns holding all this up because, you know, Shazam is late also. Though Dale, Dale Eaglesham, notoriously late on books, so I will say that too. But uh, with Jeff Johns doing Stargirl, the TV show, and that's probably more important to the, you know, I don't know if you know this, Joe, but comics, you know, come after the TV and movie stuff. Uh, that, that he's doing all that, and maybe that's what is s- slowing all this up. And who, who knows? I don't know. I don't know when we're going to get our Shazams and our Doomsday Clock anymore. Because every time I say it's going to come out, it doesn't. I'm going to say it's not coming out, so they won't delay it this week. Let me see if my dream will come true. Where we, where we get the delay update while recording the show. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. nothing here. So, again, obviously the fact that these pages are popping up for sale in places, right? And the fact that the guy who purchased them, you know, and obviously we're not hearing this directly from Gary Frank, that he's waiting on scripts, but the fact that Gary Frank publicly has stated several times 
this is, and I joke about it, but it's the reason I joke about it is because when he says it, I always thought it was a, such a ridiculous statement of him saying that this has turned out to be a much more difficult book to draw than I originally thought. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's difficult to draw because you're not getting the pages of what to draw. And I'm starting to think he's he's falling on his sword for Jeff. Right. That's absolutely what I think is going on here with the fact that this information, and again, it's purely speculation. We don't know if what was said. This is like third-hand information that we're getting. But we have to take all the information that we have, which isn't very much. But the one thing that we could look at is Jeff Johns is very busy. The two books that he's currently doing right now are late. One much more ridiculously late than the other. One would assume that they would have a little bit more hustle put under a Shazam book put out as a Shazam movie is coming out uh, instead of having to push all the back material, which is fine. But having, I, I always say when we talk about this and Marvel gets it right, even though they, they have their tie-in comics and everything like that, when a movie comes out, that weekend you go to the comic book store and there is a book that has a giant number one on it that looks just like the movie you just saw that weekend. And Marvel has been doing a great job of it. DC has never done a good job at it. I, I disagree a little bit with that, but okay. Oh, well, where, where do you disagree? That for a while there, you'd go see the movie, and you'd come back, and it's Sam Wilson as Captain America. And you'd go see Ragnarok, and it's uh, Cho as Hulk. So it didn't look exactly like right. The and again, that it wasn't one hundred percent of the time, but it was more percent of the time than DC. I guess is the best way I could say it. Uh, oh, oh, I agree with you. Yeah. I just, I'm sorry, Joe. You know how I'm weird with blanket statements, and I know you're <laughs> usually not just like, oh, I this one hundred percent no that. But I'm like, but, but I did have a couple, you know, people complaining when they were like, oh, well, I'm going to see. Now I'm not saying it's bad because I've loved the the Jane Foster Thor run, but when you had those Thor movies out. Jane Foster was Thor. Right. You know, so just like when you're saying it looks just like the, the movie, I'm like, for a while there, it wasn't, but that's all, that's neither here nor there. Right. I'll, I'll point to, they did it with Doctor Strange. They did okay. it with Iron Man. They did it with um, the, the Ant-Man movies. And granted, it may not have been stuff that looked just like the Spider-Man that we saw, but there was a brand new Spider-Man story that had a giant number one on that cover when those Spider-Man movies came out. And I yes, agree. there were times where it didn't line up for whatever publishing thing that they were trying, as Todd mentioned, where mm-hmm. they kind of changed those characters and then changed them back six months later. Mm-hmm. But a majority of the time, Marvel does a much better job of this than DC does. Shazam was a surprise hit, but that's the situation where if you were putting your all into a movie, into some sort of multimedia project, multimedia being the key word. You need to have the faith in that thing that it's going to be a success and people are going to want more of it. Mm-hmm. And if it's a comic book property, the way that they can get more of that thing that's a success is by having a comic book out of it. Now, right. yes, I wish with the Cloak and Dagger TV show that there was a Cloak and Dagger comic that was on the shelves. There's not. With Legend of Tomorrow being a hit, at least on this show, I wish there was a Legend of Tomorrow inspired team book in DC. There's not. So that's kind of on both of them, but I'm talking about the big movies, the big properties, that sort of thing. Uh, Marvel does a much better job of doing that than DC does. Shazam was an easy one. But obviously, Jeff Johns 
Remember the days when Jeff Johns would be writing four books a month? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, he wasn't a big fancy executive and everything like that. But there was those days where we would get that advance announcement of the fifth Jeff Johns book coming out. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, something's fallen. He's going to stop writing something because Jeff could handle four. He can't handle five. And that's what would happen. Yeah. And it was, it was funny. It was be- like clockwork. Right. And then you would get, you would get the whole thing of like, and then he'd get the promotion and it would be, well, I'm only doing three books. Uh huh. And then he would get the promotion. I'm only doing two books. And then, oh, nope, I'm just going to give all my time to this one book and this and that. And now he's, I, he, I guess he just doesn't have the time anymore, Joe. You know what I mean? Like, and he's there. He, he, he was their head muckety muck as as you know the high on the totem uh, writer. I'm trying to think now who it is at DC. Is it Tom King? Because he uh, puts. Up- I would say you could make the argument for Tom King, but I could also say that you could make the argument for Scott Snyder. Ooh, Scott Snyder might be there, but I would say Scott. Oh, see now we're gonna go deep, Joe. Uh, I would say Scott Snyder when he was on Batman. I think. Ooh, this is gonna be. This is maybe some anti Scott Snyder re- uh, rhetoric. I think the character made the man more than the man made the character. I think him doing like justice, the Justice uh, League books, that a lot of people don't care as much. So he's dropped off. I, I I don't see people talking about Scott anymore because he's doing the after metal. I mean, well, and see that's the thing. I think a lot of that is you and I have kind of fallen off of Scott Snyder a bit. Right. He's lost his luster for us, so his stuff doesn't pop up as much on our radar as it does to the majority of things. That whole thing that spun out of metal, while it may not resonate for us, it is still resonating for a large part of their readership. Okay. And there's the Batman man who laughs thing that's going on, and the Justice Ooh, League stuff that... that is drawn whatever it's drawing, but it's not drawn us. You know what? I say when we're at the the, the, the comic shop later today, uh, we should we should ask if we can get copies of the cycle sheets. Okay. And the honest to God, like I'm not a numbers guy. I know you are though. Like, but just to get an idea of what he's what what's selling in our local shop which we both do believe is a, a microcosm of what the industry is doing at least i think I, I i should be just speaking for myself but do you agree with that yeah okay I, i'm i'm curious i would like to know like what some of the stuff is selling in his shop but anyway that's a whole nother side thing we could talk about later absolutely so we shall see is Doomsday Clock and going to roll into June? I say yes. You know what? Because I'm going to change up my luck. I'm going to say yes also. And now it's not going to slip anymore because I said that. See what I did? Yes. Reverse psychology, Doomsday Clock. Take that. <laughs> no one play this episode for the unfinished pages of Doomsday Clock 10. <laughs> wow. Somehow they'll magically get finished by themselves if they hear this. Mm-hmm. I think Gary Frank should just draw whatever he wants and hand it in. 
Uh, I think he has a, I, I'm, unless Jeff Johns changed the ending, I think Jeff, I think Gary Frank has an idea <laughs> how this whole thing is going to end. And I think Gary Frank should just do this in the old Marvel fashion where he just finishes issues 10, 11, and 12 and leave enough room for Jeff to put some words in there. And there you go. At this point, I don't think anyone would notice and or care. That's right. Gotta get that book out, man. Gotta get those, gotta get those, uh, fiscal quarters done, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's all the news. A light week for conventions. You know, like I said, I always like to mention if there's any sort of things that have a glut of uh, comic book creators, not so much. Just because there's not a ton of conventions this weekend. I don't know if there's something going on this weekend that I don't know of. Oh, it's Easter. That's why. Nobody wants to travel. Poe, listen to me. Uh, but there is the Wilmington Geek Expo in Wilmington, Delaware, where Greg Sipes is making the rounds. I'm glad to see him making the rounds. It's like three weeks in a row we mentioned him. Uh, around. He, uh, does the voice of Beast Boy on Teen Titans Go. If he shows up at one of these closer conventions and I got a free weekend, I- I'd like to go just, uh, get that Mark photo with Beastie, you know? You, you and a free weekend. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Not during soccer season. Uh-huh. And then there's the Salt Lake City Comic Con in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I only mention this because it's quite the eclectic list of media type guests. The great Linda Carter would be there. Ooh. Uh, she of uh, Sky High fame. And nothing else, right? Nothing, and nothing I can think of. Uh, right. John Cleese is going to be there. When do you see <laughs> John Cleese coming out for a convention appearance? I would walk up and I'd be like, do you want a signature or a photo? No, I want the silly walk. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> oh, I'm an old man, Todd. <laughs> Just do it. I paid my good money. I have this boy. Here's a video of me doing the silly walk. My no, doctors we, advised me not to do it anymore. That's right. Will you sign the video of the silly walk? And speaking of a man who does enough silly things in his own right, Alice Cooper will be there as well. Ah, my good buddy Alice Cooper. Yes, your pal. I have a picture with him. Do you have a picture with him? No, I don't. Oh, uh, there you go. I know a he guy has who... a Mark photo with me, Joe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know a guy who could Photoshop something uh, real quick to make it look like I met Alice Cooper. There you go. He just needs to replace me with him and Alexa Bliss with Alex Cooper, and we're all set. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Speaking of which, also, the, the, this information will be in the links over uh, in the show notes for this episode, as well as over at longboxheroes.com, uh, which is going to give you the information for soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, where anytime any of the shows in our like-minded group of so ons and so forths put out their podcast or appear in other podcasts and they remind me about it. They all go up on the site. Uh, as mentioned, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, where we have the announcement of what the next installment of Al's Gals is going to be. And I'll just say this Can a man relax? I didn't get a chance to tell that story, but that's a good one. If you look that one up after you listen to After Dark this week, uh, uh, Podvik is the end episode coming out. Uh, Wrestling on the Edge of Forever has a sporadic schedule, in that I mean, I was originally told that it was supposed to come out on Fridays, but sometimes it comes out, like, midday Wednesday, in the middle of the night on Thursday. So, uh, you know, keep an eye at soon-to-be-named-network.com. You never know when that's going to come out. Uh, Profane Argument, Puzzle Warriors 3, and I'll mention it in the body of the show, only because I gave him a, a jab here, uh, and that would be At Odds with Wrestling with myself and uh, Adam the Man Van. And uh, this week, 
We'll be uh, talking about the superstar shakeup in the world of sports and entertainment. And uh, I have no problem saying this. A story that when I saw it come across my desk today, I teared up a little bit. It made me sad. Mm. That's all. Tune into uh, At Odds uh, with Wrestling tomorrow to find out. Boo hoo hoo. Uh, digital sales this week, of course. We got a lot of holdovers uh, from the previous weeks. All those Avengers and Thanos sales are still going on. Uh, Avengers blockbuster sales. All the Thanos stuff is going on. Then they have an Avengers Start Here sale where it's just like, here's the Bendis run and here's the Hickman run. Here's the Mark Wade run. That's the one I recommend. Here's Ultimates, which kind of spawned what we know as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It has its uh, feelers there. Here's Avengers West Coast stuff. And then here's the And the Rest run, which sadly, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo, makes me sad that the current Jason Aaron run and the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Mark Wade George Perez run falls in the And the Rest run. Mm. But a lot of good Avengers comics. You forget how many good Avengers comics there are, Todd. Yeah, because the movies are out. That's mm -hmm. why. And uh, DC is having a sale that's called their Crime Sale, featuring the hits of Jinx World. So all the Bendis stuff that kind of came over from uh, the Icon imprint over at Marvel is included in the sale, uh, as well as, I would be remiss to mention, 100 Bullets, Sandman Mystery Theater, underrated run of a comic book. Check that one out. Uh, also, the Ed Brubaker Catwoman, the Ed Brubaker Sleeper run. If you enjoy Criminal or Fade Out or any of the other stuff that we've talked about from Ed Brubaker on this show, Sleeper is kind of the genesis of all that stuff. It was like an ancillary character in the Wildstorm universe when DC purchased Wildstorm. Brubaker took like this character and... From that, we have Criminal. Pretty much. And speaking of uh, Ed Brubaker, the star uh, book that's on sale this week, as much as I love a lot of that early Powers stuff, the Scarlet stuff that's come over, all that sort of thing, uh, Gotham Central. You can get the entire run of Gotham Central for under 20 bucks. That's a good book. That's a good book. That's a great price. And that's, you know, we joke... This is a rare sale where Dark Knight Returns or Batman Year One is not included in the sale. I get it. This is the, this is that this is that fourth week where they just don't include it. It'll be on sale for the next three weeks. I almost guarantee it. But uh, I don't know. Put something like uh, Gotham Central up as a perennial sale. Move that book. Get people reading. Probably one of the best comic books published in the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. But all of this stuff will be over in the show notes as well. Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Right. I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, Symbiote Spider-Man, number one by Peter David and Greg Land. This takes place in shortly after uh, the Secret Wars, the first one. Uh, actually, it's even mentioned, like, uh, there's one moment with J. Jonah Jameson's who's like, you know, the, the heroes aren't talking about the secret wars and everything. So 
you know, we establish firmly where this takes place. Peter has the symbiote costume on, the black Spider-Man costume. Doesn't know what it is yet, because even in the book he said at one point, somebody asked him about it, and he's like, yeah, machine made it. It's, you know, some kind of space cloth or something. He's not 100% sure. But basically the story is, uh, it starts out with Spider-Man just whooping up on Mysterio because uh, he thinks he's up to something, obviously. And then we jump back into the past where Mysterio is setting up his last big heist to set him up for for life and everything. And he's talking to an old friend from MIT. And he's like, you know, you're messing with stuff. Like you're working with like the kingpin and you're doing all this. Like these are these people are above your pay grade. You don't want the blood on your hands that these people have. And he's like, ah, I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna go do this job and, and get out of here. And he ends up pulling off the heist, uh, trying to pull off the heist using Mysterio esque stuff, and it goes terribly wrong. Where I, as a matter of fact. You know, I know Mysterio is a joke, and he, he usually the joke villain. He does something, and it goes completely sideways, blows up in his face. He gets somebody hurt, and I actually ended up feeling bad for Mysterio. And he's like, I want to, to, to get out of here and go on the run. And we end up cutting to, to Spider-Man, who at this point is taking down the fly because he shows up for some apparent reason doing stuff. And I'm like, I'm enjoying it. It's Peter David doing doing his witty dialogue and everything. There's even some puns, which is all good for me. Uh, also, the black cat is in it, because at this point, Peter and the black cat are in a relationship, and she ends up, that's how we learn about the, the black costume, because she's like, new costume. It moves, it changes. He's like, yeah, it's it's all good. And we end up, she ends up meeting Aunt May for the first time, and I'm curious about that, because I never really read this area era to find out if you know when black cat and aunt may have met or if they ever met i wasn't sure if he kept them apart peter ends up seeing uh quentin back who's mysterio at, at the uh at a cemetery when they're visiting uncle ben's grave and he ends up finding him and going in like beating up on him but mysterio gets away and now mysterio ends up seeing peter walking away from behind and the costume's changing, and he doesn't understand what's going on, but he's he's interested in it, in it and he's going to try and figure out what's going on. I know I'm all over the place on this, but <laughs> it was really cool to, to see Peter David, like, at his height again, like, doing all the stuff that I enjoy that he does with his writing and stuff like that. I really like this book. I'm not a Spider-Man guy. Recently, I've been very Spider-Man-esque, but I really enjoyed Symbiote Spider-Man. I, I can't recommend it enough. Right. I, I did read a lot of my stuff. I did attempt to make an effort to read this uh, before we got a chance to record. I did not. But your talk of it makes me want to give it a look. Now, I do have some questions in regards to this book. Now, Peter David did write Spider-Man during this era as well. He wasn't like the main writer, but he was maybe like second writer down. I think uh, J.M. DeMatteis was still like writer number one. Peter David was writer number two. So... I'm sure this was just like putting on an old glove or an old shoe for Peter David. The Black Cat relationship in this issue, in this book, does Black Cat know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and Spider-Man is Peter Parker? Yes. Hmm. 100% shows up at his apartment, comes through the window. He's sitting there without the mask on and talks to her. And as a matter of fact, she's he she's the one that he takes to the grave to visit Uncle Ben's grave 
to like explain like what his deal is. And I'm like, oh, this is, there's no doubt in my mind. He ends up introducing her to Aunt May. And in that question, like, I don't know why Spider-Man would have been introducing Black Cat to Aunt May as Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Um, but so yeah, it's, it's all 100%. Cause I don't even understand all that. Like even reading Spencer's stuff, I'm not sure. Right. Cause if, I asked, cause that was a whole big bone of contention with their relationship was that whether it was Peter keeping it a secret that he was just like some regular schlub or black cat being like, well, I don't want to date a regular schlub. I want to date Spider-Man. And that was the end of their relationship together. And different writers kind of take different angles on the reason for the breakup from this, you know, story that was written 30 some years ago. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested. I was interested to see how they would handle it there. Now, the other thing that I have, of course, with this is, you know, it's a mini series. It's written by Peter David, How's that art looking? You know what? I really like the Greg Land art in this because mm-hmm. I don't feel that this isn't the the photorealistic art where, you know, like he's swiping whole panels from stuff. This is more almost, I don't want to say cartoony because that's not the way to do it, but if he's swiping these faces, he's not making it look like he's swiping these faces. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Right. It's more of his like older style, I would say. I, I'd say take a look at it because uh, I think this is the best he's done comic book stuff in a long time. I was concerned about that, of course, when the book got announced. The other thing, of course, I have to ask is, so this is a miniseries. We were just talking moments ago about how Marvel does a really good job about getting something out on the shelves when a movie comes out. Mysterio is the villain in the upcoming Spider-Man movie. The movie comes out in July. This could very easily get wrapped up and trade-weighted to have this as a trade the week the movie comes out. Uh, leading me to believe that, of course, because there's, you know, Mysterio as the main villain. On the flip side, does that mean at some point in the movie, Spidey is going to get the black costume? I don't believe that'll happen at all. Hmm. Just a curious thought I'm putting it out there. I'm not saying he's going to get the alien symbiote costume. Oh, I see what you're saying. You think just even a black cloth costume? Just a black version. Of, like, Nick Fury gives him the stealth version of his costume. That's a possible. Okay, I thought you meant the symbiote. No, That's, no. I was like, no, with that Venom thing. They'll do that in a, at some point later on down the line. But I would say I could see... Him basically doing like when he had all that stuff in the first movie with all the over where uh, Tony overthought it. I could see him, yes, having in the in the movie or even in the Avengers movie at some point if he comes back having a black like a a a stealth costume. Right, and again, it's the situation of it's not a symbiote, but you're gonna see Far From Home. Mysterio is the villain. Spider-Man wears a black costume. You go to the comic book store. There's a book there that has a number one on it. Spider-Man in a black costume. Mysterio is the villain. You're gonna you're gonna be more inclined to pick that up. Not a bad take. Mm-hmm. Get me on that uh, creative team meeting something or other. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other book that we both read from this past week is Wonder Twins number three. Uh, written by Mark Russell with art by Stephen Byrne. No relation to John Byrne. <laughs> and this is very much a Gleek story where we get a lot of Gleek's origin. 
Not to say that Zayna and Jan aren't up to stuff, but uh, obviously in the comic, or in the cartoon, Gleek was like an alien monkey. Right. But this is just a monkey that was rescued from a circus where he was being abused. And to help save his newfound masters, he draws upon a lot of his experiences at the circus to assist the Wonder Twins. Right. But that whole thing with the circus, it's no good without the loop, Joe. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. But, uh, yes, uh, the Gleek story was by far, like, the best part of it because it gives you, you know, uh, definitely an insight into Gleek's life before this and you feel bad for him and how good he has it now with Zan. Um, I, I thoroughly liked it and I, as a great writer, Mark Russell ended up putting the little bits of the backstory in. And how all the things that he was doing in the backstory are going to come to completion to, to, to save the day. And I'm like, that's really cool. This is like, as crazy as I'm going to, this is going to sound, it was a well thought out Gleek story. <laughs> so good. Right. And this is one of those situations where these are goof characters, joke situations in the past, where they're joke and goof situations now with the, uh, what is it called? The League of Annoyance. It's not even the, like the Legion of Doom for the other villains right. that are dealing with folks. That's right. It's the minor leagues for the big the big groups. Yes. So even the villains are goofy, but everything is treated with just enough seriousness to make mm-hmm. you and help you buy into what's going on. And we've discussed this before with the non Young Justice Wonder Books, uh, whether it be Dial H for Hero, whether it be Naomi, and now this. The, this uh, leg, this arm, if you will, this part of the Wonder Comics line is doing such a good job of getting over the importance of Superman in the greater DC universe. And this was that issue where you get like the first third of the issue is, you know, uh, Jaina kind of having a tough time dealing with everything. And her turning to Superman, because they're essentially like interns at the Hall of Justice, and Superman kind of getting a couple pages there to put everything into perspective for her. You know, kind of showing her that they too, even though he's Superman and she's just, you know, a girl who could turn into, wa- uh, into what, an, is she, she's the animal one, right? Right, yes, yes. That can turn into an animal, that they are not too different, she and he. Mm-hmm. And uh, these bits with Superman in the Wonder Comics miniseries have been great. Yes, because apparently I think that is a, the centerpiece of it. And he, and uh, Mark Russell definitely seems to – is going to keep using Superman as far as I'm concerned because he's the one who brought Zan and Jaina to Earth and they have the mystery behind why they couldn't stay where they were. And so I don't think he's going away anytime soon. And I like it. And I'm with you. Cause like he doesn't off like hand a comic to like when she asks how he can do it. And he's like, how do I do it? I'm indestructible. And she's like, no, no. And, and he's like, it's not, he's like, and just the short form. It's just, it isn't flight. It isn't strength. It isn't invulnerability. How I see all the, the, the crap that's in the world. He just says it's seeing everything's wrong with the world. It's somehow not going crazy. Like that's the, 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 like this, what makes you the, the superhero. And I'm like, this is so good. Good. Like this is like 10 times better than the, the Superman books with him in it. Um, I'm with you, but I love the wonder twins. It's one of my favorite comics. Everybody should read this book forever. 
Yeah, and again, it's a mini series, so hopefully when the trade comes out, people get the trade. Uh, I can't see us not talking about this book for the next three issues in which it comes out. And I hope it gets legs because of how good it is. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like I, if Mark Russell has six issues and that's it, fine. But I'd like to see if this was an ongoing, I would, I would buy it for as long as he was on the book. I'll even go you one better. I know Bendis kind of has like the main Superman stuff lined up, but I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't uh, thumb my nose at maybe Mark Russell or Sam Humphreys, who's doing uh, the Dial H for Hero book, getting a crack at doing a little bit more Superman stuff. I would prefer Mark Russell, but yes, I'll go with you. You get what I'm saying, though. Yeah, yeah. Either yes. one, because I think they they get a really good handle on what makes Superman special, I think. Yes. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to BoxHeroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you're getting your books in print, whether you're waiting for trades, whether you're getting them shipped to your home, however it is that you're getting your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out. Make sure your pull lists are updated, whether it be at your store, digitally, or however it is. Now, Todd and I, as we always do, attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead with one correct guess over me. Let's see how these standings shake out. Hmm. Looking over your list, and there's a lot of good stuff coming out this week, Joe. That's true. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Is the book you're looking forward to most, War of Realms number two? I corrected it. War of the Realms. Yes. Right. Uh, that is the book I'm most looking forward to coming out this week. Yes. And I think War of the Realms is also the book you are most looking forward to coming out this week. Yes, it is. All right. Th- though I do want to tweet at Jason Aaron and ask him which one I should read first, War of, uh, uh, War of the Realms or Thor number 12. Hmm. Because I'm not sure. You ever do that where you start reading the one, you go, oh, I should be reading the other one first. Now, I will say this. A lot of times when, well, let's not say a lot of times. Mm-hmm. They do all the time. <laughs> no, not all the time. Um, when a creator takes the a creator and an editor make a baby, and that <laughs> baby is a crossover. <laughs> a lot of times they do a very good job of putting something in the front of the book where it's like, wait. Before you read this, read this. Right. That being said, let me go over to the Dirty Marvel website. Mm-hmm. And I say that it's dirty only because sometimes it's a, it's a little uh, finicky, if you will. Sometimes they don't broom. They don't sweep up. Mm-hmm. Let me see if there is any verbiage on the site... Yeah. Right, because oh. I remember the days like I missed the days where you get the you get the checklist now, but like like Millennium back in the eighties. Remember that super hit crossover from DC Millennium where they literally had week one read these in this order. I right. miss stuff like that. Hmm. Let's see if event says something, and let me look at the calendar here as well. No, no event. Mm, Todd. I blame you for this. What did I do wrong now? When I go to the tab that says events, Mm 
Right. <laughs> They're really pushing Infinity Gauntlet, Civil War, and the Clone Conspiracy. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my goodness. On the cutting edge right there. Uh, I'm going to cut something. Uh, so, there's War of the Realms. And where is Thor? You would think things would be in alphabetical order, Todd. They ain't. Uh, they want you to, it's in the order you're supposed to read them. Uh-huh. Uh, it looks as though, from the solicitation text, that the two kind of go on concurrently with each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas Thor is Thor, uh, being trapped, uh, fighting frost giants. Right, as we left him last in War of the Realms. Whereas War of the Realms itself is all the stuff that's going on on Earth. Okay. So it does not appear, at least with these issues, there is a specified reading order, but I'm sure if there is anything really, really specific, they'll have something up in the front, or at the very least, if I come across it online, I will stooge that information off to you. Right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done in the past, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the 2017 smash sensation. Todd and Joe have issues. And of course, we have our little store tab where we have shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. And if that does not uh, suit your merchandise needs, we also have a T Public store where you could buy the full color long box heroes logo the soon to be named net logo and a variety of other shows that have spun out from this show at odds with wrestling and who knows what else will be coming through uh in the near future now t public hasn't had a, a sale since our store went live but if there is another sale anytime soon i'll be sure to tweet that out to let everyone know that they can get our fancy shirts for a much lower price mm-hmm so, also, another way that you could help us out is buying things through our Amazon click-through. It does not cost you anything extra. It just gives us a little bit of uh, uh, money on the back end. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of that money on that two-month cycle that it goes through. Right. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week, and boy howdy, there was a lot of them, Todd. Uh, someone purchased the Thor Epic Collection, specifically the World Engine run. Someone purchased Volume 2 of Immortal Hulk. That one specifically, I would say, was because of us. Uh, mm-hmm. some, someone again purchased two sets of the World Wrestling Entertainment Mighty Mini Blind Bag Party Favor Toys. Uh, someone also purchased a pack of Uniball retractable medium point pens. And boy, howdy, I haven't talked about pens in a long time. Boy, I love me a good pen. P-I-N, right? No, pen, like you write with. Come on. Oh, I, I know how much you love pens. Uh, someone also purchased an anti-snoring chin strap and silk eye mask combo. Oh, I was hoping that was a chin strap for fake hair, but it's not. <laughs> Uh, eh, you're not going to say anything. Uh, somebody also purchased the Sacco Band Men's Silicone Wedding Band and the Thunderfit Silicone Ring Women's Wedding Band. And Ooh. I have a sneaking suspicion by saying that aloud, I'll be getting a text tomorrow. Uh-oh. 
That's all. I like, listen, I like it when the people who purchase things through our Amazon click through let us know. I think we, we got, uh, Dwayne who purchased a lot of stuff through our, uh, our click through. He was the one who purchased those Spider-Man curtains. And he sent us a nice picture of the room that he put those up in. I like when you do that. When you get your items that you purchase through our Amazon link, you shoot us a picture. And uh, it just makes me happy. It kind of completes the circle on this segment, you know? I even heard he might have been listening to us tell people that they someone bought that while he was hanging them. Oh, my goodness. That's just insanity to me, Joe. I thought you were going to say that's Inception is what that is. That is Oh, that is. Uh-huh. That's like many layers. It's like an onion. And uh, someone also purchased, and this is actually a long time coming. We actually talked about this when it was announced. That's how uh, important of a story this is. And I assume that this was the same person who purchased, uh, pre-ordered actually, because they're not out yet. But Star Wars, the Black Series comic figures of Triple Zero, BT-1, and Dr. Aphra. Ooh, I, I'm glad that they made figures of those. Me too. Uh, Such I, great characters. Absolutely. When I saw those come up on my Amazon report for the week, and I'm like, ooh, maybe I should order these figures for myself right now. Uh, are you going to order those first or your Klinger figures? Well, I could just go over Words' house and play with his uh, Klinger action figure. For somehow, I think that's one of the world's shortest drives. <laughs> Not as short as you think. So, Todd, you said, uh, so again, thank you everyone who made any purchases through the Amazon click through. Uh, when you purchase a shirt, of course, we'll give you a shout out. And, uh, Kevin, uh, from at Oz Wrestling, I know you listen here. I'll, I'll get in touch with you about your winnings from the, uh, at odds mania betting thing. It's just been kind of hectic here. That was real. That was real. <laughs> I've just been sacking. So, let's get into TV talk. If you said there is no... There's no art attacks that I can seize. Oh, uh, no art attacks. So, let's start TV talk. And we'll give everyone, like, a couple seconds here to skedaddle if you don't care. So, I do want to say I did watch two of the three uh, episodes of uh, Cloak and Dagger that I was behind on. Mm-hmm. I did have every intention of watching episode three before we recorded today, but, uh, you know, things got hectic. Right. While you're going to watch it while you were reading Symbiote Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've done that before, but not today. I needed my divided, und- everything needed my undivided attention. <laughs> everything needed my divided attention. Yes. Oh, boy. So, uh, Cloak and Dagger's back. Yes. Uh, I liked where things got set up with the two episodes, of course. Uh, Tyrone and Tandy have their powers. They're trying to make the best do with what they can, of course. And at the end of the first episode, they kind of come together after having a little bit of a tiff of Tyrone's going out trying to stop the drug dealers. Um, what's her face? The detective? O'Reilly. O'Reilly is kind of giving them a bunch of crap because... Him going out and doing it the way that he is is just causing more problems. But, of course, he's not listening to her. Uh, Tandy is trying to repair the relationship with her mother. And in group, she comes upon another young lady who appears to be having some domestic issues at home. And I want to mention this real quick. Um, when this show started, you know, and I have to put the kind of, eh, and this is not, 
and I'm not going to, I don't want to say trigger warning, but essentially that's what it is. You watch Freeform, which used to be Disney Family. It's a Marvel comic book show. And even, you know, the TV stuff, whether it was on the Netflix stuff, had a little bit of a harder edge to it. I know personally that there were several people that I'm friends with. So again, that's a very narrow cast thing. So I'm sure there were more people that had issues with it. Where the first season, uh, first episode, had some very, you know, harsh things that it was dealing with. Um, you know, abuse, um, things of a sexual nature, things of drug abuse, all sorts of things, right? Race. Right. So there was a lot of stuff that I don't think a lot of people were prepared for. I was one of them. But, you know, obviously I deal with things differently than Todd does, than you, the listener, does, or somebody else who doesn't even listen to the show that's just like, hey, it's a new Marvel show, let me watch this. This is not what I was expecting, right? And you may have different reactions to this. I do want to say that I have to tip my hat to Marvel, Freeform, or whomever that did something at the end of the show, kind of like, hey, if you know anyone who's going through these things, here's these numbers and here's these resources that you could use. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very magnanimous thing for them to do i'm sure that was done because we got some blowback because of it regardless of the reason that you do it they are trying to course correct whatever issues people may have had with season one right anywho uh girl in the group therapy that tandy thinks is being abused tandy goes and tries to put the fear of whatever into the guy who's doing the abusing that surprisingly makes the situation work so while worse yeah worse sorry worse you said work that's what i was like just making sure (laughs) so while uh tandy thinks that problem is fixed she can go help tyrone make his problem even worse which he does and now uh detective o'reilly comes in then we get a whole subplot with her that i didn't see coming out of anywhere which i thought was really (laughs) cool and then how just in those first two episodes tandy's problem ties into Tyrone's problem ties into the much bigger plot thread of what I think the season is going to be about. Right. Um, yes, basically the first issue, and I like the first episode sets up that it's eight months in the future from the, well, eight months since the last episode and that Tyrone's on the run for killing the cop who killed his brother, even though he didn't, he, I'm not saying he didn't kill. We don't know. He ended up taking him inside the cloak, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. So he's on the run as a cop killer. He can't see, you know, he can't go home or whatever. So that's kind of, he, I like that last season, Tandy was living in the church and now this season Tyrone is, it's like a nice, like flopping on their head. There's a lot, there's a lot. And I know, I don't want to say deep because the show isn't deep, but there's a lot of interesting things that are going on in the show like that. Like you said, the thing going on with that in the second episode, we get a whole after the first episode ends, we get a whole thing of after the 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 the, the fallout of this thing, we end up seeing the three different storylines of Tandy O'Reilly and uh, Tyrone and how it all led up to and then what they did after this point. I'm like, this show is very well directed and written, and I'm always kind of like. I never feel like I'm lost. I always feel like I have to catch up just a little bit. And that is exciting to me in a way. And I'm re- I'm really enjoying it. And the, the fallout that you said from, uh, uh, Detective O'Reilly, she has PS, she can't shoot the gun and things are off and you think something happens. And then 
uh, they end up maybe thinking someone's in her head and that goes completely sideways. That threw me off. And next episode, you get how all that came about. I don't want to spoil anything, but that, that's what I said. I'm just loving Cloak and Dagger. I don't know. I think it's as good as some of the Marvel Netflix shows, but not as violent porn as they were if that makes any sense right so i'm enjoying it. it's not like oh i have to see somebody take a you know a katana to the side every five seconds it's not as graphic in violence like you said there is some of the 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 the, the abuse and, and stuff like that but it's not as in your face all the time as the the, the netflix shows were right if there's a nice even mix to this you know not to say it, there's not swearing not to say that there's not violence not to say that there's not thematic elements they give you a break it's not non-stop 12 episodes an hour plus each just non-stop you right. know the horribleness right the famous uh hallway scene in daredevil for 12 episodes that's what they try to do on the netflix show sometimes so yeah cloak and dagger airs uh thursday nights check it out uh, i should be caught up with the next two episodes by the time we record uh, next week, we'll have uh, Legends of Tomorrow and Flash is back as well. Right, so we'll have Cloak. Clo oh, my God, it's going to be a busy week mm -hmm. when we do Al's Gals oh, and four and episodes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank God I'm not going away for a wedding this weekend. Right, that's next weekend, maybe. Mm -hmm. I could, anyway, so uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Right. Uh, our two main plots that are going on here is it is... Biff Tannen's funeral. I refuse to call him by whatever his name is. Right. It's Biff Tannen. Uh, we get his funeral. That's kind of the B story. The A story is the ladies, uh, Mona, Sarah, Charlie, and Azari, go back to the 1800s because the shirt that Mona is wearing of a whole bunch of... Uh, what is it? Jane Austen novels are disappearing from the shirt. So obviously something has happened there. Mm -hmm. So they have to go and fix that problem. So of course there's a lot of romance talk. We end up meeting the guy who is the inspiration for the Kama Sutra. We get, uh, a Bollywood dance number. We get Biff Tannen possession, possessing Mick. <laughs> there's a lot going on in this episode, Todd. Right. Me first? Or? Yes. I laid the groundwork, so you go ahead. Fair, fair enough. This, <laughs> early on, I was uh, there was a lot of, like, you know, uh, like the whole Jane Austen thing, like, with the romance and, like, Mona discussing, like, uh, Copay and everything. It's all, like, I was like, okay, it's heavy on the romance. I'm like, not really my thing, but I did enjoy uh, them picking on Zari for her kind of maybe being interested in Nate and then, like, she ends up meeting the 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 guy that's end up being the the Hindu god of love. And there, when she meets him, and we don't know that he's the you know the the, the thing yet, the the mystical creature. And they just start giving her the business. I was cracking up. I'm like, this this looks like people I would hang out with here. And I was really enjoying that. And it kept coming back that they kept needling her, giving her the old gentle ribbing, if you will. And I was liking that. But like I said, the Jane Austen stuff, not so much. And I was like, eh, I'm kind of like checking out on this, on this episode. And then 
we hit the Bollywood number. And I'm like, really? They're doing a Bollywood number? And it starts out, and I'm like, you know what? This is hysterical. By that point, I was all in with it. I was laughing. I was like, I was having a blast. I thought the, the you know, the actual choreography was fantastic. Um, that being said, I liked the whole thing with Ray and uh, Damien Dark's daughter. I can't think of her first name. Um, but they had they have the thing going on where Ray is too chivalrous to to put the move on her and everything, and he ends up, you know, the Bollywood scene gets him to open open his heart. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and then I actually had a slight like you know it got a little dusty when we find out that Nate's father actually like cared about him like even though he was a worker the whole the whole uh relationship uh you know was was different than he had he sought growing up he really did care and in the end i was like eh, i'm not the first half of this by the second half i'm like a fantastic fantastic second half of the episode okay i did not love this episode right legend of tomorrow has not been clicking for me so far this return Mm-hmm. I liked last week's episode. The previous week was okay. This week was okay. Uh, right. I still can't get over how bad the special effect is on um, Mona's transformation into Wolfie. Nicole Bass, yes. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> right. Um, and this episode felt like they just tried to cram in so much stuff. And the tone was just all over the place for me. The stuff that I liked more where was the advance, which which was the B story stuff, which felt more like the advancement of the plot, where Biff Tannen was able to tell Constantine that it is Neron that they're dealing with. So now Constantine knows for sure that it is Neron that they're dealing with. And that officially his ex-boyfriend is merged with Neron. Right. So, he didn't know that before. Right. So that stuff I really like. This other stuff just feels like there's too much going on. You know, I remember when Mona was introduced, you're like, oh, I don't think Mona's going to be around that much. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be a recurring character. But I didn't th- I didn't see her, her, her arc going this way. And I'm I not digging not it. I'm just not digging this season so far. I honestly thought it was just going to be a lot of slapstick with her and Gary. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that would have been fun. I get you. That's like I said, the whole Jane Austen stuff. I didn't care about. I didn't care about the uh, the sexual revolution and the church and everything. I was like, okay, like whatever. And like I said, the first half of the episode, I was completely lost on. I am a sucker for like the like the Bollywood stuff. I thought that was really cool. And just because one of the things that made me pop was when he was talking to to the mirror. John was talking to the mirror, and he brought up a bunch of stuff that was in. Obviously, the comic. He brought up Astra, which was in the comic, and then also was the first season of that canceled John Constantine show that he did. So he's mentioning stuff from the old. And I don't know if that kind of kind of helped me out with it, but like I said, it was mostly the Bollywood stuff. Mm-hmm. But I get you how, like you said, it's very the tone and the shift, and it's one thing, and then it wants to go dark, and then it wants to be heartfelt, and then you have Mona running mm-hmm. around. It isn't very crammed episode right and for me i think the bollywood stuff and again i'll I'll be the first one to admit i'm out of touch with most things but the the bollywood dance routine kind of just out of nowhere 
to me, ran its course when Kevin Smith did it in Clerks 2, and that was 15 years ago. Okay. And I don't know. I, I guess it was a thing. I didn't love it. I kind of like... uh I kind of like uh, what the shapeshifter insinuating that Ray was, you know, maybe doing something to himself in one of the rooms when he was hiding stuff. I really like how risque Legends of Tomorrow is getting. That's my favorite part. I'm hoping they turn it around. Are you hoping they turn it around? Yes. Like I said, I didn't think it was the best episode. I thought it was... It works out middle of the road because how good to me the, the second half was to the good the first half. But we'll see next week what what we get. And I'm wondering because I haven't watched it yet, but Arrow had Sarah on this week uh, for a Canary reunion on Arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering if we will have a Sarah Light episode this week or next week, if you know what I mean. Yeah. How like Flash because he was doing the crossovers and stuff wasn't in the episode. And the other thing was Mick was in a, in the 1800s where they had giant hats and they didn't put one on his head, Joe. <sighs> it, he was supposed to go there and wear a. It would look like a normal looking hat, Joe. <laughs> I've never had a hat that fits so well in my life. <laughs> it's supposed to be baggy. Oh boy. All right, we're making Simpsons references. Let's wrap things up here, my good yes. man. So, uh, wrapping up episode 446 of Longbox Heroes for Todd. This is Joe saying thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boo.